0: Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Well, we were missing a few people up there today. That's okay. That's okay. We still came together, and uh, I think we did a great job this morning raising our voices, praising God, and what a day to do it. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. If you're in your Bibles, uh, I hope you're in Matthew 21. That's where we're going to be reading from this morning. Uh, Today's sermon... It's very special. Today's message, I might say, God's message to us is very special um, because a lot of people do not remember or celebrate Palm Sunday. They truly don't understand the significance of this day. And today's application, I want to go ahead and tell you now, is to bring us back into remembrance, bring us back into a refresher bring us back to a place where we remember what Christ truly endured, what he truly suffered. It's so important for us. So if you're in Matthew 21, let's read these first 11 verses. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna, to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So let's talk about the significance of this event. You have Matthew 21, 1-11 stating that Jesus came in on a donkey, on the fall of a donkey, the colt, along with its mother. And most of us understand probably that with all the noise and the shouting, this is the first time this colt has ever been read, uh, 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 ridden on, it would be good, it would behoove the colt to have the mother there to keep it comforted and, and, and still. And we can see that in human nature as well. So, I truly believe what Matthew's saying is that the mother came along with the colt and Jesus rode the colt. Because then we look at Mark, 1, uh, Mark 11, 1 through 11. Here again is the triumphal entry, and it says, A colt which no one has ever sat. And then Luke 19, 28 through 40 says, A colt in which no one has ever sat. Again, this is the triumphal entry. And then we get John 12, 12 through 19 says, A young donkey. So what I'm trying to get you to understand here is the reality of this entrance into Jerusalem, Jesus riding on this small colt, sitting on the cloaks that the disciples had put there, riding into Jerusalem on this uh, small colt. Each one of the Gospels presents this, and each one of the Gospels presents the triumphal entry. It's important for us to remember how Jesus is coming in to this royal city. So putting all four gospel accounts together, it becomes very clear how important and significant this event is, not only to the present, right, to those present at this who are actually witnessing, but to all Christians throughout history. So today, we still celebrate Palm Sunday to remember this important and momentous occasion, and that's what we are doing here today, Grace Fellowship. Well I mentioned all four accounts. What I really enjoy about the four accounts is they all tell you the specifics of this entry. How it came to be, who was there, what they were chanting. But each one also presents a different angle if you will, a different idea of the picture. If you put all four they go together, but each one gives you a different view of what happened in these specifics. And Matthew says, the crowds were stirred up, and the question in the crowds was who is this? See, Passover was quickly approaching, and there were many, many people traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Uh, There were also those traveling with Jesus because He was a bit of a rock star. He had raised Lazarus from the dead very recently, and He still had a crowd from that that were following Him. And then, of course, He was teaching here and there, and the crowd grew. Then he also had his disciples and others that followed him besides the disciples. So you have to see, as he approached this city, you can only imagine how large the, uh, the mass of crowd must have been and continued to grow into this mass of people, raising their voices, yelling at the top of their lungs. And if you and I had just walked up, we would have done the same thing. I'm sure we would have said, hey, who is this? Oh, that's that prophet, uh, Jesus In fact, I think he just raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the craziest thing. He does miracles. He heals people. But this is the prophet. This is the one they were talking about. uh, Is our Messiah? So you can see people come going, "Oh, oh, hey, you know who this is? I just found out. This is that guy Jesus from Nazareth." And it goes on and on and on because the crowds were stirred up, asking who this is. So you can only imagine all the defining moments in this crowd within this conversation of who Jesus is. I can only imagine. How much stuff was true, how much stuff was untrue, we don't know. You guys know mob mentality. It can be crazy. So here they are going, who is this? And there's a mass of people in front, in back, praising Hosanna in the highest as Jesus entered. There's Matthews. Marks, same thing, but he tells us, you know what? He went to the temple. When he entered the royal city, he went to the temple. He did not divert and go to a kingly palace. He wasn't looking for anything earthly, no riches. He went straight to the temple. So you can see that his destination places him in the spiritual, not the earthly. And then, of course, he looked around. It was late. He looked around, and he headed back to Bethany for the night. All these little details are extremely important, folks. What did Mark say? went straight to the temple. Matthew says, the crowds were stirred. Who is this? Luke. Luke tells us that the Pharisees come up to Jesus and say, hey, man, you got to rebuke your disciples. you got to quiet them down. Do you hear the things they're saying, the things they're shouting? you got to stop this now. And Jesus is like, listen, if I stop them, the stones are going to cry out. And Jesus used this figure of speech for a reason. He was trying to say, what you're asking, what you're asking right now cannot happen. They are going to praise this moment. They know what's coming and entering right now. They are praising me, and I deserve it all. I'm not going to quiet them. If I quiet them, the stones, well, they'll cry out. And you know what the truth is? Yes, I'm sure Jesus could have commanded stones to cry out. But what he was doing was trying to make a point to the Pharisaical leaders as they were trying to quiet these disciples in the crowd. They did not like what was being said. See, they could not see the king right before them. In fact, Luke tells us not only that, they were blinded to the peace. They were blinded to the peace. And it says Jesus wept. Jesus did weep for Jerusalem as he entered it. They were visited by the Savior and didn't even know it. They missed the visitation, the Bible tells us. He was bringing peace, and their focus was solely on killing him. Jesus could see the destruction that would come, and he wept. Jesus could see the rejection that he would face, and he wept. He understood prophecy. He knew what he was getting into. So yes, the Pharisees were trying to quiet Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus' disciples down, and all this that followed. stop that. They can't be saying this. And what he was saying is, I cannot stop this praise. You don't see who's in front of you right now. You can't see the king. And then John. We got John here. The Pharisees kind of stood back looking and said, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Oh boy, Jesus was a problem for the religious leaders and political leaders. He was a problem. He threatened their way of life. He threatened their authority. He called them out on all of their distorted views of Scripture, of their rules, of their laws. Jesus would call them out. So people were turning from the Pharisees and their oppressive ways to this new teaching of Jesus, this man that brought in peace. They were turning, and there became an intense jealousy, and intense jealousy that would lead to kill. So we have these wonderful accounts, four accounts of the Gospels, giving us a different look as Jesus entered the royal city. But what was the purpose? What's the purpose here? Because something huge is happening. The purpose was in riding into Jerusalem, Jesus was making public his claim to be their Messiah and their king. And this is in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Even Matthew, we read in our Matthew, uh, in here in 21, Zechariah 9, nine said, say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and matted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Even Matthew was quoting Zechariah 9, nine in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. See, <clears throat> no longer were the disciples to keep quiet where before Jesus said no. He would even hush demons. No, don't don't tell anybody who I am. Today, we are making the public claim that I am who I am. Everything I've told you, let's make it public. So he, did, he let the disciples shout this. They were no longer to keep quiet. And now they shouted the praises. And these praises, along with the others that joined in, stems from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26. This is what they were shouting. They said, "'Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success.'" Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They were quoting Psalms as our king was entering the royal city. Now, as he entered this royal city in this royal manner, and what I mean by royal manner is, of course, they were removing their cloaks and placing them on the ground. They were cutting palm branches down and waving around as they chanted and praised God. Hosanna in the highest, and they were placing him on the ground as Jesus would walk in. It was like red carpet treatment, you know? It was like royal treatment. And he received it, the worship and praise, and he deserved the worship and praise. He is openly declaring that he is the king and the Messiah that they have been waiting for. But let me just say, king with a question mark. King with a question mark. Because here's the unfortunate part a lot of the praise that Jesus was receiving was because the people recognized him as a temporary messianic deliverer. And let me explain that. It was one, this is how they saw him, as one who would lead them in a revolt against Rome, rescuing them politically and freeing them nationally. They praised him for being a conqueror of nations, a conqueror of kings, looking to free them from the oppression of Roman rule. This is what they saw happening. So yeah, they got loud outside of the gates of Jerusalem. They got really loud. This is who's saving us? So you can imagine, if you were a spectator, you can imagine how much was being said and how loud it was being said to know that here is the one who's going to save us. And while they may have seen and recognized Jesus as their Messiah, here's the problem. They didn't understand that it was not time yet for his kingdom. It was not time for Jesus to set up his kingdom. Nor did they understand that he did not come for political or national uh, salvation. That's not why he was here. He came for spiritual salvation. It is very possible that the many of these people that were there that day, that were shouting their hosannas on today, this Sunday, Palm Sunday, would this Friday be shouting, crucify him. It's extremely possible because their expectations were not met. And if they were not met, then they were going to quickly turn on Jesus, rejecting him and abandoning him. Well, I thought you said he was the most, I thought this was going to happen. I thought this and I thought that. See, they missed it. They were missing the visitation right before their eyes. They were missing the king entering Jerusalem, but for spiritual salvation. See, Jesus, he didn't enter, he did not enter on a mighty steed, right? He didn't come in on this horse that had all this war regalia, right? No, he entered riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, lowly, humbly, and peacefully, bringing peace. He did not come to conquer in force earthly kings or kingdoms or nations. He didn't ride in with armies or clothes of splendor. Nope. He came in peacefully in love, grace, and mercy. He came in as his own sacrifice, He rode in as a lowly servant who is a conqueror, but not of kings and nations, but of hearts and minds. See, his message is of peace. He is bringing peace, but they did not see the king for who he truly is. So the question is, my friends, was this a triumphal entry? Was this a triumphal entry? As stated earlier, the purpose of this entry was to make public Jesus' claim to be their Messiah, to be their King. And this would be the reason that the political and religious leaders used to accuse and destroy Jesus. Did you hear that? The very purpose in Him entering Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, as it's come to be known, is the very reason they would use to kill Jesus Christ. Although these leaders all along wanted to kill him, always plotting, always scheming, wanting to plot his destruction and follow through with it, this entrance, this display, this claim of kingship would be the beginning of the end. Jesus' earthly ministry. This is where it started on Palm Sunday, this entrance. See, this would kick off what we call Holy Week. Some of you may know it as Passion Week. And if you don't understand what that means is Jesus was very passionate. Father was very passionate about the redemptive purposes of this week. All the events, everything that was triggered, how everything fell into place, He was very passionate about it. And we are going to see just how passionate Jesus was for us. Because I want to get into a couple parts here. There is, I want to give you a basic chronology of the events that happened. It's important. Even the littlest things that the the Bible teaches us, I want to go ahead and talk about. And this is the chronology. Today on Sunday, we call Palm Sunday, right? There's a triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he enters the temple. And then he returns to Bethany. There's Sunday. Monday, he curses a fig tree on the way. That's a sermon all in itself. He curses a fig tree. He clears the temple of the money changers, those who are buying and selling. And then he returns to Bethany. Tuesday, as the disciples are heading their way to Jerusalem, making their way to the temple, they see that fig tree has withered to its roots. And then there's temple controversies. Oh, yes, Christ is in controversies with the chief priests, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the scribes. They're all coming at him. And then there's the famous Olivet discourse on the Mount of Olives. And then he returns to Bethany. Wednesday's kind of quiet. Absolutely, Jesus could have been making preparations for the Passover meal on Thursday. He could have. But it's pretty quiet. He could have gone to the temple and taught. We don't know. Some think he did. But we do know that on Wednesday, there was plotting. Religious leaders were plotting to kill Jesus. It was all coming down to it. Thursday, we absolutely know that there was a Passover meal, the Last Supper. And then we have this wonderful, what we call, upper room discourse. And then Jesus prays in Gethsemane. This is my favorite part of the story as we get into Thursday and Friday. A lot of people think and separate these days. You have to understand, and I'm going to try to put it in human terms here, let's say 11.59 a.m. on Thursday night, or excuse me, 11.59 p.m. on Thursday night into 12 a.m. on Friday morning. All of this is happening after the meal and they go to Gethsemane to pray. Some wonderful things are beginning to unfold and happen. And this would lead us into the betrayal, the arrest. This is Friday morning. The betrayal and the arrest. Uh, the trial before Annas. The trial before Caiaphas, his father-in-law, is Annas, Caiaphas's son-in-law, high priest, Caiaphas. The trial before the Sanhedrin. Pilate's first trial. Then they go see Herod. And then they come back and they see Pilate again for the second time. All of this is happening... From early Friday morning, and I can't give you a time, I wasn't a witness there, from 12 a.m. to 9. He was on the cross at 9 a.m. So you can see how everything was rushed. I can't wait to share with you how illegal everything was. I want you to see really what Jesus was up against. Saturday was the Sabbath, and then of course Sunday, we'll celebrate next Sunday, the empty tomb the resurrection appearances. This is the Passion Week, what we call Holy Week. From the start of the entrance on Palm Sunday today to the resurrection appearances in the empty tomb next Sunday, we call Passion Week, Holy Week. That's where we're at. Jesus was following God's timeline. And God, hear me, God was in complete control of everything. It may look like chaos, pure evilness, and it is on the man's part on humanity's part, but God is in control of everything. God used the wickedness of these people in his redemptive plans and purposes. It wasn't the words crucify him that placed Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the words they yelled crucify him. What ultimately put God, or us, the, the Lord, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, what put him on the cross was you and I. It was our sin that put him on the cross. Not the words crucify him. See, ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden, ever since, there's been a promise to send a Savior. And this goes back to Genesis 3.15. A Savior, one that would crush the reign of sin and death. And now we're starting to see the bigger picture here. So this sacrifice, brothers and sisters, this was the will of God. Entering this city, Jesus was nearing the culmination of a very long journey that was leading him to Golgotha. And Golgotha is the place where he would hang and die on the cross. So yes, this is the place. This is the time Jesus had to seek and save the lost. We talked about that last week. He had to seek and save the lost. And you know what he was doing now? He was securing that salvation. This entrance into Jerusalem was securing that salvation. Those that were praising his name and those that were plotting to kill him six days later, it was all under God's control because it was securing salvation. So I want to talk about two things, Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Gethsemane, and I want to talk about the trials. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed three times, face down, He was sorrowful, people. He was troubled. He was concerned. He said this, If possible, let this cup pass from me. If this cannot pass unless I drink it, remove this cup from me. He prayed this. But at the end of each one of those prayers, he said, Not as I will, but your will be done. It's important to remember these prayers, folks. We're talking about sorrowful. He's in anguish. He's in agony praying to the Father. Remove this cup, but not as I will, but as your will. Your will be done. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the pain. He knew the agony. He knew the betrayal. He understood the hatred that was coming. But even more, the separation from God as he had to take on sin, all of world's sin upon himself, that separation. And you know what? We're never going to know what it's like. We will never know what Jesus experienced when he executed this great act of love on the cross. We can't fathom that higher love. We can't fathom that higher love. But he said, not my will, but yours. Jesus accepted, he accepted, and he acted on the Father's will. Remember the prayers. Sweats of blood coming from the forehead praying. Agony. Please let this cup pass from me. But not, as, not my will, your will, Father. See, and this, oh, this gets me. Woo, this gets me good here. We see this even more in the arrest. As Judas and the religious leaders came at him, to arrest him, they approached Jesus, and Peter took out a sword, and he swung, and he took off the ear of one of the, serv- uh, one of the servants of the high priest. He cut his ear off. <laughs> Jesus rebuked Peter, and he said this in Matthew 26, 53. In Matthew 26, 53, he said this. Do you think... That I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels. Have you ever read that verse and just skipped right over it, getting to the next part? Have you ever thought about and meditated on this verse? This is a purpose. This is part of the whole communion service today. Listen to this. Do you know what a legion is? We can't be exact. Some people put a legion as four, five, six thousand men. There's one legion. Some put it at 12,000. Some put it at 24. You know, doing the math, let's just say Jesus could ask the Father at once to send 60,000 to 100,000 angels. At once. He's saying this, Peter, I don't need your dinky little sword. Do you know what I'm capable of? The truth is, and this, this gets me, the truth is he only needed one angel. Do you guys get that? One angel would have done the job. It's overkill, right? But what he's saying is, Peter, I'm good, man. If I wanted out of this, I could get out of this. 100,000 angels, boom. Think of the prayers. Do you see how Jesus committed to this? He actually committed to this. So he healed the ear and says, do what you're going to do. I'm blown away by this. And look at this, look at this. In in, in Matthew, after that, after he talks about the legions of angels that he could call, because he's saying, listen, uh -uh, uh-uh, I'm committed to this. We're going through with this. If I wanted out, I could get out. And then then he says here, um, in Matthew 26, 54, he says, but how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. See, there was a plan all along. And here he is. Jesus would be fulfilling many prophecies throughout this Holy Week, throughout this week of passion. And then again in Matthew 26, 56, he says, But all this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him, and they fled. He's saying, uh uh-uh, Peter, stop. If I wanted out, I could get out. You have no idea what I could call down right now to protect me from this group Group is nothing. But I'm committed to this. And besides that, Peter, you know the scriptures. I've been telling you all along. The disciples didn't get it, guys. They did not get it. This has to happen. And he was going to fulfill scriptures. He knew what he was getting into and he knew what it would cost. So here we are at the arrest. Jesus was betrayed, he was arrested, he was abandoned and left alone to fulfill his purpose in God's will. Jesus was giving himself over to this. They were not taking him. He was giving himself. He gave his life. There's the arrest. Let's talk about the trials. Again, Annas, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod. Let's talk about the trials for a second. The crimes Jesus was being accused of were punishable by death. Therefore, this was a capital crime, which meant there were even more rules. There were even more rules to make sure things weren't fair. So Jesus, uh, let's see, the priest, the Sanhedrin, they broke so many of the rules to make certain that Jesus would die. And I, if you're okay, I want to read you some. Here are some of the uh, rules that Jesus is up against. Again, let me remind you something. Here's the arrest I'll give myself. I, I prayed to Father. I'm following his will. Here I am. Take me. I'm giving myself over to this. Now he's in these trials. Let me get my act straight here. Here we go. Oh, these really get me angry. The testimony of an accomplice was not allowed. Therefore, Judas could not accuse or witness against Christ. Remember, we're early in the morning. He'll be on the cross at 9 a.m. This is rush. This is express service here. The accused could not be questioned by a private individual. Christ was taken to Annas and Caiaphas and questioned. Illegal. No legal proceedings could take place at night. No problem. We'll still have it. The Sanhedrin, these are the Jewish judges, they could not bring charges. Witnesses had to do that. But indeed, the Sanhedrin, these Jewish judges brought charges. They sought for and brought in false witnesses. See, witnesses were supposed to come before, not after the fact. Capital offenses could not be tried on a preparation day for a Sabbath or high holy day, and the Passover began the next evening. Oh, we'll spend it this time, guys. It's like kids playing a game and changing the rules as they go so that they win. That's exactly what's happening here with these religious leaders. Capital trials had to last more than one day to allow for great consideration on the part of judges. It was ours. There had to be two or three agreeing witnesses, and they had to cast the first stones at the criminal. And if witnesses were unfruitful, me, untruthful, they were to receive the same punishment themselves. The witnesses were to come first. They were to cast the first stone, not have the Sanhedrin bring the false witnesses in. And then guess what? Their testimonies, none of them agreed. They didn't agree with each other. and they should have been punished. They were not. The accused had to have a friend in court to defend him. Jesus had no one. The high priest is not allowed to grandstand. They can't make a scene. They can't cause a ruckus. And Caiaphas is ripping his clothes, going, oh, blasphemy, out of his own mouth. Look, look what he said. We don't need witnesses. Entrapment, man, entrapment. Oh, I love this. No one could accuse himself. Did I tell you this? No one could accuse himself. Jesus agreed that he was and is who he claimed to be. You can't try a man who's claiming who he is to be. But they wanted to kill him for that. The accused must be given ample time to defend himself of any accusations. Jesus was not given time. And I never knew this. If a capital crime... If with a capital crime the decision was unanimous against the accused, the case is thrown out. If everyone votes unanimously, the case is thrown out. As members of the Sanhedrin who may have defended Christ were not there, they weren't allowed. And since they weren't invited to this court session, the court found unanimously against Jesus unanimously. That means he should have walked, but he did not walk. And again, do you guys realize this is all happening under the cover of darkness? This is at night. The trial was held at Caiaphas's house, his palace, instead of the proper place. The next morning they did the proper place to make things look good, but illegally they took him to a private residence. Any sort of bribery disqualifies a member of the court, and the court, what'd they do? They bribed Judas to turn on Christ. And I'm going to end with this last one here. The judges are not allowed to assault the accused. Let's talk about assault. Real quick, I read all those for a purpose. Do you guys get it? Jesus had no way out of this. They were going to kill him right then and there. He was dead. You guys get where I'm coming from? They would do anything they could to bend the rules, to make it fair on their end, not on his, and they were going to murder this man. Absolutely. He didn't stand a chance as far as the human side. They were going to convict and sentence him. See, they did not see the king. And we're about to have communion. I want to ask you do you see the king? Can you see the king in this? Because here's the deal they did not see the king when he entered this Palm Sunday. They did not see the king when he taught and healed and raised Lazarus from the dead. They didn't see the king when they arrested him. Even when he healed the servant's ear, they didn't see him. When they spit on him repeatedly, when they blindfolded him, striking him, punching him, and then saying, prophesy, tell us who hit you. They didn't see the king. When they ridiculed and they mocked him, when they brought false witnesses with false testimonies that didn't even agree, they did not see the king. They exchanged a murderer A man named Barabbas, they exchanged a murderer for him. They clothed him in a royal robe with a crown of thorns, striking him, but they didn't see the king. They tore the flesh from his back as they flogged him, as he was scourged. They tore the flesh from his back. They punched and kicked and beat him repeatedly. They cast lots for his clothes, but they didn't see the king. They made fun of him. They mocked him. Even when he was hanging on the cross, he was mocked and made fun of. And then he still had to take on the sins of the world, didn't he? Even as he hung on the cross, he asked the Father to forgive them, yet they never saw the king. I'm telling you, I see him. And today, I'm going to remember everything that he endured and suffered, all for me because I put him on the cross. You put Him on the cross. This is an act of a great love that we could never, ever truly comprehend or understand. What is happening here is paramount for people that would come to know this Lord and Savior personally. Securing salvation. So, you have to ask, was this truly a triumphal entry into, G, uh, into uh, Jerusalem? The day Jesus entered, was it truly triumphant? As he proclaimed himself Messiah and King, oh, yes, it was. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that day was indeed triumphant. How can we know this? How can we know that this was a success? Because of all the things that took place, all the events that led to this, everything during this Passion Week, Jesus made a triumphal entry into each and every one of our hearts. This is, yes, sir, this is where the king reigns in peace. This is where the king reigns in love. And we know that we are to let the world see our true king living and reigning in triumph in each of us. In triumph. When he entered Jerusalem, it was a triumphant event. When he was crucified, it was a triumphant event. When he was raised from the dead, and they rolled away. Where is, where is the body? It was a triumphant event. When he made his appearances, when he ascended into heaven, where he is right now, it's a triumphant event, and when he returns for all of us. Glory, that will be a triumphant event. Matthew 21, 9 says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest. I'd like to think what that looked like to hear that. This should be screaming from our hearts daily. What's the point in the application of this message? We were about to have communion. We're about to commune with each other and our Lord. These are the things that we have to remember. These are the things that have to be given full attention. Do you realize what he endured, what he suffered? He was committed to saving each and every one of your lives, and what he went through to do it, what it cost. My goodness, all of us would have collapsed, all of us would have failed. As soon as I was struck, I would have struck back. Anybody else like that? You're blindfold and punch me. I'm even bad. I'm going to try to get out of it. He took it. He took every swing. They put the crown of thorns, and you ever I've. When I trim holly bushes, my hands are all bleeding and it got holes on them. There's just little holly leaves. Imagine thorns. You ever been stuck by a thorn? Now imagine it being pressed into your, your, your skull, your skin. It hurts. You're bleeding. And then they started hitting them on the head with a reed, making fun of them. I could have called down 100,000 angels. I, could have, I would have called them people. I would have failed. God sent 200,000. Let's teach them a lesson. He endured and suffered everything. I don't want to be doing something nice for you and then you be teasing me and making me fun. Okay, I'm just not going to do it. He's hanging on the cross while they're still mocking and he says, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. We've got to remember these things as we come together and commune with our Lord and Savior. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you. We are so grateful, Father, for everything you had to endure Everything that you suffered, all because you chose us. Father, we are a blessed people to know that you would endure the pain and the agony. You knew what was coming. You were praying, Father, if there's a way, if I can take this cup from me. But then you committed to it. Father, you were in full commitment to just loving us so much that you allowed yourself to be taken, you gave your life. Father, we have to remember just who you are. We have to remember not only what you've done, but who you are that's done these wonderful things for us. Lord, my prayer this week into Easter Sunday, Father, I pray that we're able to reflect on your life. I pray that we're able to reflect on all the things that you did, Father, when you enter Jerusalem that Palm Sunday, and from that point on, reflect on all the things you did, all the experiences you encountered that brought you to be placed on a cross for us. Let us reflect on you. Let us love on you, Father. We pray right now as we commune with you that your spirit is just guiding and leading us into that, Father. Connect us. Please just connect us. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for this wonderful, wonderful time.